It's good to see you, church. So glad that you are joining us today. We are going to be studying in 1 Peter chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we will be in 1 Peter 1 verse 13. Uh, we're continuing this series um, called God Said What? And uh, we started last week with literally saying that, you know, you hear a lot of people say things that have good intentions, but honestly are not true, or at least not biblically true uh, statements. And what they're trying to do, I believe in many cases, is to give comfort. But in reality, what they're doing is misrepresenting God. And last week we talked about God will never give you more than you can handle. And of course, we're throwing a question mark on the end of each of these message titles. Because uh, many times people will say that, and we looked last week to show that God actually will and does give us more than we can handle so that it directs us, drives us, encourages us to lean on Him, be dependent upon Him because He is our salvation and He is our ultimate need. And that was the thrust of the message last week. So if you missed it, go check it out. Uh, if, while you're turning there this morning, we're going to do a New City Catechism together. And the question is, what is idolatry? Again, this is question 17 in our New City Catechism. Idolatry is trusting in any created thing rather than the Creator for our hope and happiness, significance, and security. And it's really, uh, I'd love to say that I planned it this way, but I didn't. Uh, today we are going to be talking about happiness. And what this is saying is, Anything that we put our trust in, that we look for our happiness in, or significance or security other than God is idolatry. And so the message today is going to be called, um, God wants you to be happy. And there's a question mark behind it. Does he want us to be happy or does it mean it the way that we typically mean it when we say it uh, that way? And just to give you a few updates, some of y'all might be wondering this morning as you're watching this, is why I'm with a bookshelf behind me. I'm in, I'm in my home office um, today because our church, for those of you who are members of our church, uh, is being completely redone in the main sanctuary area, and so it's looking really great. We're excited about that and the new additions that are happening. Also, too, we're so close. Uh, we're so close to finishing our expansion and, and having all those little small details are now starting to go, and so we're, we're excited about that. And, uh, and I do want to remind you, we are having outdoor drive-in church services on Sunday morning. So if you want to physically and literally get out there and be a part of a service, Sunday's at 1045, as long as the COVID-19 standards are the same. And of course, we'll be keeping you updated. So check out our Facebook page. Uh, that's kind of a plug there. Stay on our, our website or on our Fellowship Community app. But anyway, what we're talking about this morning is... God wants me to be happy. And so here's how it's typically used. Though. This is the problem when people say, well, God wants me to be happy. And usually what they are seeking to do is make an excuse for a sinful behavior or habit or something. Look, God just is giving me this opportunity because it's it, it makes me happy. I'm, I'm using the substance because it makes me happy. I'm leaving my spouse because this other person makes me happy. And so God wants me ultimately to be happy and you need to respect that, right? Uh, you need to respect that. And so we see people who engage in sinful lifestyles and we use this philosophy of do whatever it takes to make me happy. But I want to promise you this. If you live your life based on the emotions of do whatever it takes to make you happy, you will be miserable. If you live, I'm just saying this, if you live your life based on every emotional whim that leads you to say, I just want to do whatever it takes to make me happy, you are going to be physically, emotionally, and spiritually broken and wind up miserable, not only in this life, but sadly in the life 
to come. Another way that this is phrased, sometimes when you hear people saying, God wants me to be happy, you'll hear people say it this way, uh, if you loved me, you would want me to be happy. Now, I know some of you out there this morning are saying, yes, I've heard that. I, I want to tell you that when people use that type of phrase, and they are seeking to use that phrase to justify a sinful behavior or sinful lifestyle or some type of action that is contrary either explicitly or implicitly to the very word of God. I want to tell you that person is a manipulative person and they are deceived. And it says that God is not mocked. So I want to tell you this this morning. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have someone like that in your life and you are basically helping them to live out a lifestyle that you know is sinful, and if it's a sinful lifestyle, and that also means it's eternally damning. If you are helping them engage in that lifestyle, encouraging them from the outside looking in or actively encouraging them, I want to say this to you, you are not showing love. We are literally, when we encourage people to live in sin, we are literally saying to them, I'm seeking my comfort over your eternal good. I'm seeking, you know, whatever it takes to save this relationship. I fear you and my relationship with you more than I fear God and my relationship with the Lord. And so I just want to tell you this morning, if someone is using phrases like that in your life to do things that you know are harmful to them and harmful to others, they are manipulative they are being either deceived or seeking to deceive you. And if you do that, sorry to start off the message with a warning, but if you do that, that's not love. And to be straight up honest, it's not seeking their ultimate and eternal happiness whatsoever. And so I just want to encourage you when you hear people say things like that is, is it biblically in line what they're saying and is it representing the truth of God's word? I was reading an article literally just the other day and and it was talking about um, a husband and a wife. He's a pastor. And they both, <clears throat> they both counsel people in their church. And this couple had been being counseled by them and, and sharing the Word of God with them. And finally, she came to her husband one uh, evening and said, it's, it's not going to work. It's over. And he's like, what do you mean? We've been, we've been spending all this time with them. We've been sharing God's Word with them. I mean, it looks like we've had a little bit of forward progress. He said... She said, you don't understand. I just got off the phone with her and she says, I know she's going to leave her husband. He said, how do you know that? Because she said, I know that God wants me to be happy. She used that in the phrase of basically saying that I know that God wants me to be happy. And at this point in time, in my marriage, I'm not happy. And therefore, this gives me the right and the prerogative to leave the marriage. And so I just want us to be very, very careful when we use words. Because here's how the world defines happiness, by the way. The world defines happiness as defined by temporal pleasure without moral concern for right or wrong. Okay, that's how the world defines happiness. It's basically whatever brings you pleasure, pleasure, even in a temporal manner, but it has no concern for right or wrong because, again, you get to define what is right and what is wrong. But a Christian, on the other hand, happiness is an attribute of God, typically describing Him as blessed. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Uh, a lot of times, many Christians don't even believe God's all that happy. And so we see terms being used like blessed God, and so that's amazing, but it honestly takes away from the reality God is happy. God is ultimately and infinitely happy, and He was happy before He created the world, the universe, and me and you, and He doesn't need us for His happiness, yet He is tied part of His happiness with us and our salvation being with Him. Therefore, happiness emanates from God, flows from God. God is the source of happiness to His followers by the Holy Spirit. It, 
by the Holy Spirit and experienced by intimately knowing God. The Dictionary of Bible Themes says it this way, uh, Happiness is a state of pleasure or joy experienced both by people and by God. True happiness derives from a secure and settled knowledge of God and rejoicing in His work in covenant faithfulness. So the question goes this, this morning is basically this, does God want us to be happy? And the answer is absolutely yes, as long as we understand it from a biblical standpoint. As long as we understand it from an eternal perspective, as long as we define it according to how God defines it, not according to how the world, according to our emotions in many cases, which are not necessarily aligned with God's word, as long as we define it that way. Because here's the answer. There's two things here. There is no true happiness in sin. You cannot find happiness in sin. Sin is lawlessness. Sin promises happiness while delivering misery and death for the wages of sin is what? It's death. There's no way around it. Just because you have a temporal taste of happiness or excitement or whatever that may be, it always brings with it death. All those who sin are enslaved to sin. And most importantly, sin separates us from God, which is the source. He's the source of happiness. But secondly, true happiness is only experienced in the presence of our eternal heavenly Father. But here's the one thing we all have in common this morning. Whether you find yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ or you find yourself out there saying, well, I'm atheist, I'm agnostic, but I happen to be checking in today. Here's the one thing that we all can agree on. Every single person who has ever been born and who will ever be born seeks to be happy. Not all of us by any means seek to be holy, but we do all seek to be happy. We all do. We all long to be happy. We all pursue it, you know, as, as we would see our founders saying. St. Augustine said it this way, every man... Whatsoever his condition desires to be happy, which leads us into 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He tells us this, Therefore prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, important, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And that is the word of the Lord this morning. If you're taking down notes with me today, I'd like for you to go ahead and take this one down. Christians should be the happiest people on the planet. Christians should be the happiest people on the planet. Now, notice what I put in there. Uh, I initially had this, Christians are the happiest people on the planet, and I believe that also to be true, even though there are some outliers out there. So I went ahead and put, should be the happiest people on the planet. But sadly, this is simply not true for some Christians. Some Christians go around like Eeyore 
and, and just always somber and always gloomy and they happen to be like kin to Chicken Little and the sky is always falling and they're always looking at the negative and they're always playing quote unquote the devil's advocate about every single situation and how things can always go wrong and you're just like, I don't know about you, but my personality is like, okay, I either need some positivity and some answers to whatever we're talking about or let's just not talk at all at the moment because again like we should be filled with joy that was Jesus that was his ministry and we are heirs with Christ our co-heirs with Christ and heirs of God and God declares himself to be happy and rejoicing and so forth this is caused I believe in many cases for some of the Christians and maybe you're one of those out there and I'm not saying you're not going through a season of depression that's very possible Likely in some cases. I'm not, I'm not belittling that. I need you to understand that this morning. But what I'm getting at is that if you are not having um, consistent and persistently greater uh, engagement with God and enjoyment of His presence, then there's something wrong with the Christian equation for you. Uh, this is caused, I believe, by not meditating on the goodness and happiness of God. And again, if you don't believe God's happy, then how could you meditate on Him being happy, right? How can we want to spend all of our eternity with a God who's miserable and therefore is seeking our own misery in the process with it? Otherwise, you're like, well, I don't really want to go to heaven. And that's why so many of us who claim Christ grab so tightly to things here on earth because we don't recognize all of the joy and all of the pleasure and all that God has intended for us beyond the 60, 70, 80 or so years that maybe he allows you to be here. When we do not appropriate what is ours in Christ, we don't recognize how great of a gift that we have in Jesus. When you don't recognize that your sins have been forgiven, that God is not just some distant God who hates you. No, no. God is a father because of Jesus Christ who loves you infinitely because of what Jesus has done. Your, your conscience has been wiped clean. Your best days, by the way, as a Christian, they're ahead of you no matter what you're going through, no matter what pain and aches or suffering or afflictions you've gone through in this life, we're going to spend eternity with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We will see Him, Revelation 22, 4, face to face. We're going to have a wonderful time, and I think we just need to keep that in our minds. We can either learn to enjoy, as some have said before, the food that is set before us, or we can always wish for that which is not there. You know, and there's a lot of people out there. There's always something, uh, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, if you will. And they're always searching for something. And I want to say this as Christians, we need to learn to be content with what God has given us because it is sufficient. It is more than enough. And our future is set and secure in Christ. And I know some of you this morning will probably be saying, Josh, I don't know if it's true. I don't, I don't know about this. I want to say this. Joyless Christianity is a contradiction in terms. The second of the nine fruits that are listed or fruit of the Spirit is love. And then what is it? It's joy. I mean, that is literally when the Spirit of God lives in you, the Holy Spirit. I mean, there is an indicating marker of you have joy in your life. You have more joy. And the more you know Him, the greater that joy is going to be. There's just no way around that. In Luke 10, it says that Jesus rejoiced in, 1021, in the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say in verse 23 about the disciples who have seen these things happening, blessed, which means happy. You know, we like to try to use words that have a little bit more formality, and yet that word right there truly, literally means happy. And, and that's something we're going to talk about in a moment, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. So just because someone wears a name tag doesn't mean they're a part of the group, if you will. Just because they have the members-only jacket doesn't mean they're a part of the group. So sometimes when you hear people say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. But I'm miserable, I hate life, and don't seek to do any good for other people, and I really don't spend much time with Jesus. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. 
2 Corinthians 13.5. Check it out on your own time. Timothy Keller said it this way, and this is what we get to have as Christians. This is the worldview we get to have. While other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing coming sorrow, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of world sorrows, tasting the coming joy. You notice that word there, the difference. You can be going through sorrow and yet tasting the future grace of God already at work in your life right now. It's actually commanded. Are you ready for it? It is commanded for us to be filled with joy, which is another way for us to be commanded to be happy. And again, I don't like it because it's not true. And I want to say that I've been guilty at times of doing this, of indicating, well, God wants you to be holy, not necessarily happy. That's not true at all. We're going to see that in our second point in just a moment. Those go hand in hand. And you also see sometimes people splitting hairs, which is unnecessary and unbiblical to say, well, one thing's joy and temporal is happiness. It's like, no, God is happy and he's infinite. And so I don't want us to be mixing these words because that's simply not what the Bible does. Psalm 37 verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. That's not saying, well, you should think about it. As a Christian, maybe you should think about delighting yourself. No, no, no. Delight, that's command, yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all of the upright in heart. Psalms 97, 12, rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Psalms 100, verse 1 and 2, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all of the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Are y'all following this? And this is just, of course, touching the tip of the iceberg. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And remember, he's writing this from prison. And if you want a memory verse for the week, for those of you who don't read your Bible very much and you're just getting into this, here's one for you. First Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. Two words. I think you can handle it, right? Give me an amen if you believe that to be true today. Listen, rejoice always. Now, what does that even mean? Rejoice always. That means in good times, rejoice. In bad times, rejoice. In times of wondering what's going to happen, what's tomorrow going to be like, rejoice. Why? Why? I mean, we, we've got to ask ourselves, no one can be commanded to be joyful. No, you can't command people to do that. How is this command even possible? Listen, God does not command what he does not supply the ability to do. What he's getting at from the old covenant to the new covenant is this. Our lives are secure in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we can have joy no matter what the circumstances may be. Our joy, our happiness is not dependent upon the circumstances. Our joy and our happiness is dependent upon being secure in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is something to rejoice about. You see, I believe this is telling us what Psalms 42 verse 5 and Psalms 43 verse 5 both tell us. You got to talk to your soul. You got to talk back to yourself when you are feeling down and you are feeling depressed and you are feeling anxious. You got to begin to talk the word of God back into your life, not just quoting scripture for the sake of quoting it, but speaking the word of God, recognizing the promises of God and looking and saying, this is a father who loves me. This is the father who says not a single sparrow falls to the ground, which means he's sovereignly in control of all things. And he knows my beginning from my end, like he has it in control. And this is the God who because of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made, calls me beloved. And if that's the case, then I can be happy and I can be joyful in the midst of any and every circumstance. You want to hear some soul talk? 
Soul talk actually comes when you sing the song 10,000 Reasons, Bless the Lord, O My Soul. Where do you think that comes from? It comes from Scripture. Psalms 103, verse 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. And that chapter continues to count out His benefits. But what is He saying? Bless the Lord, O my soul. Like you, Soul, bless the Lord, for He is what? He's worthy. He is worthy. Just because you don't feel a certain way at the moment doesn't mean that the reality is not true and therefore we need to align ourselves with reality because God is blessed, God's happy, God's joyful, God is peace. You see, C.S. Lewis said it like this, Men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because praise not merely expresses but completes that enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. The worthier the object, the more intense the delight would be. Therefore, fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. Are you following that? I mean, that's, that's some powerful stuff. That's on His reflection on the Psalms. He's telling us the worthier an object is, the greater the joy and the happiness and the pleasure is, and you're wanting to tell everyone about it. You don't have to be commanded to do things that you already love to do. You just do them. You do them, man. If you're in love with your, with your husband or with your wife, man, you just you want to let them know how beautiful and wonderful they are, and you want to tell other people to join you in praising them because it is the natural response to that beauty and to the character, and to the love, and to the joy that you want to express these things. And what God is doing when He commands us from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, when He is inviting us to praise Him, He is inviting us to enjoy Himself who is the ultimate and greatest good. He is inviting us to throw away all of our idols that bring only temporal happiness and pleasure but lead to death. He's telling us, listen, throw those all away because they're what? They're false gods, they're false, they're idols. And come to me who can give you eternal joy and pleasures forevermore at his right hand. That is what God is telling us. I want you to get some implications from this. And I'm going to move on to the second point because I know my time's running, right? Listen, this means that our joy and our happiness is not circumstantial. This also means if it's not circumstantial, it cannot be easily stolen. I'm not saying you don't have a bad day and I don't have a bad day. But typically our bad day is a bad moment that we allow to infect the rest of the day and the rest of the relationships that we engage with for the rest of that day. And for some of you, you had a bad day 10 years ago and you've allowed that to fester right Rather than going to the Lord who can take care of your problems, cast your anxieties on Him, and you've allowed that bad day to allow bitterness to take root, which has grown up into a tree, and it is eating and affecting not only you, but every single relationship in your life. And I'm encouraging you today, chop that down by the Word of God, the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus Christ, and begin to live in the freedom that God has allowed us to experience through His Son, Jesus Christ. This means... That difficult times call for greater eternal perspective. Are you thinking about that, right? This means that if I'm going through a difficult time, then I need to focus even more on the heavenly glory that awaits me in the goodness of God. This means I don't have to be wrecked every time something bad happens. I don't have to let people be the thief of my joy. I can take control of my life, if you will, because God is the one in control of it. I can just lean on Him and say, Lord God, you're good and I get it that people aren't necessarily always the easiest to get along with. 
And don't give, this is another thing, don't give your joy away so easily. Don't give your happiness away so easily. If you have wrong expectations of God, which means you don't understand who God is because you're not willing to spend time in His Word, if you have wrong expectations of God, you're going to find yourself being, quote unquote, let down by God and God not doing what you supposedly think He's supposed to do. We need to understand who God is according to His Word. And don't have wrong expectations of life in general or people. People don't always do their best. You understand that, right? And that's every single one of us. We are sinners living in a fallen creation. Life is not going to go your way all the time, or even maybe in some cases, some of the time. In wrong time frame, too many of us are living with a microwave attitude in a crockpot world. You following that? We're living with this microwave attitude where it's like, I threw it in. God, I should be getting the result. And rather than recognizing that God is on his own time frame, and we are to align ourselves with his time frame, because otherwise you're going to be miserable. So I'm encouraging right now, you can be happy in Jesus Christ today and for all of your life here under the sun and for all of eternity, but we need to have the right expectations. We need to have a heart of gratitude, not a heart of I'm entitled, but a heart of God, you are so good. And anything that you give to me, anything that comes my way that's good is undeserved and therefore I am eternally grateful. Going to the second point, I'm going to go a little bit faster. Holiness and happiness are not mutually exclusive terms. This is, sadly, I've kind of done this in the past a little bit, and so I'm going to apologize. I didn't mean to do it this way, but holiness and happiness are not mutually exclusive terms. You hear a lot of preachers in some cases say it this way, because holiness has gotten, honestly, like it's a bad rap. When we think of holiness, we think of like, well, God doesn't want me to do this, and doesn't want me to do this, and doesn't want me to do this, and doesn't want me to do this, rather than understanding holiness absolutely is equated with happiness because it's the freedom from sin. Rather than looking about all the freedom that I have in Christ Jesus, the liberty and the liberation that I've experienced because I've been ransomed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been, as we read earlier, born again by the Spirit of God. I don't have to go back to my former ways of ignorance, my futile ways that have been learned from all of my ancestors before me. I can now live in the holiness of God, which is the happiness of God, because God is the most happy being that has ever been. No, hands down, nothing comparable. You see, the prohibitions in the Bible are for your happiness. When God tells you not to do this and not to do that and not to do this, this is not for you like, oh man, God's a killjoy. No, God loves you so much that he puts guardrails on the edge of the cliff of where you're going to fall off into the pit of hell. Like God loves you so much to tell you, listen, all sex outside of marriage will lead to death and desecration. And when you finally do get married, you're going to have that to carry with you into that marriage. And God's saying, you can have amazing sex in marriage and you can have an amazing relationship and you can enjoy one another to the fullest extent, all that God has intended it to be between one man and one woman. You can have that. So don't rob yourself of it by trying to cheat the system. Worshiping false gods. Why does he tell us don't worship false gods? Because they're just that. They're false. They're not real. He's telling you worship the one true God, the one who's worthy. He tells us not to lie. Why does he tell us not to lie? Because you can't trust a liar. There's nothing about a person who lies that there's anything in their life where you're just like, man, I really don't know what's up and I don't know what's down because honestly, I can't trust a word that they're saying. And so what is God doing? He's saying, bring some stability into your life. He's telling you these things not to stop you from having joy. He's telling you these things so you can have infinite joy. Are you following me this morning? I mean, he's telling us so we can have infinite joy. It is those who live in sin that are miserable. 
It's those who live in sin that are miserable. Sin works by the law of diminishing returns. And the law of diminishing return basically says that what it took to get this high, next time is going to take more to get the same high, which basically means i got to do more and more and more and more to get the same result, which causes us to be completely miserable. And all you have to do is look at those who are addicted to drugs or addicted to alcohol. I mean, again, what initially was the first hit to get the buzz, to get the high, now takes far more. And then you have to go to something else in some cases to get the same feeling. And then you get addicted to it because you have to have it again and again because our brains begin to be reprogrammed chemically. You see the same thing with pornography. You see the same thing with illicit sex. You see the same thing with money. You see the same thing with power. Then what is God trying to do? God is not seeking to steal your happiness. God is leading you into the way of everlasting love and joy and peace. And He's teaching us that He is the ultimate answer to all of these things that we have in the right season at the right time. The ultimate goal of happiness. Take this down. The ultimate goal of holiness is happiness. The ultimate goal of holiness is happiness. Psalm 1611. This is probably one of my favorite verses. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Are you following that? So we act on our passions. Uh, no one has to tell you, as we mentioned earlier, to do things that you love. Like, I've never once told my son Abram, I'm like, Abram, you cannot do your homework until you go and ride your foiler for the next 30 minutes to an hour. You've got to go ride your foiler. I need you to go in the mud in the back part of the pasture, and I need you to get stuck. Like, you got to do it before I'm going to even let you do your homework and eat your oatmeal without any sugar or any uh, cinnamon. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've never, ever had to tell Abram to do that, ever. He would look at me like, Dad, are you okay? You know, um, what, what's happening with you? Because you're telling me to do something I already love to do, and you didn't have to do that. And so I, I want us to think about this. A, a quote from John Bloom, he said it this way, Christian, when, was, uh, when have you been most free from sin? When have you been least motivated by selfish ambition and laziness and lust and self-righteousness? Uh, when has the fear of man and the general craving of the world and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches wielded uh, the least influence over you? When have you felt the most captivated to love others and most concerned for the perishing unbelievers, the persecuted church and the destitute poor? In other words, when has your life been most characterized by holiness? And he goes on to say that it... It is when our love for Jesus is at its greatest that we are less self-centered, that we care more about those who are destitute and those who are poor and those who are being persecuted, our fellow brothers and sisters in countries that we've never even been to. It's, it's when we focus most on Christ and when we love Him the most that the things that are most important to Him, to Jesus, then become most important to us because we are in close proximity, in close presence, if you will, in close relationship with Him. He goes on to say this, Holiness is fundamentally an affection issue, not a behavioral issue. Take that down. It's an affection issue, not a behavioral issue. It's not that our behavior doesn't matter. They do. It's just that our behaviors are symptomatic. They are the outworking of the affections in the same way that our behaviors are the outworking of our faith. Are you following that? Like, it's symptomatic of what's happening. For instance, when someone you see is either coughing or sneezing or has an itchy and sore throat, then you would automatically say that the cause of the symptoms is a cold or something of that nature, right? You say that that's the cause and those are the symptoms. When you see someone who's on fire for Jesus, 
And I don't mean just for a moment. I just simply mean that their life is exuding the presence of the Lord, that they are growing in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all of these things, even if it's only incrementally. When you see that in someone's life, the cause is the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, His sanctifying work, and you're becoming day by day, though these mortal bodies are falling away, if you will, but day by day our spirit is being renewed. When you're in the Word of God, your mind is being renewed to be conformed into the image of Christ not conformed into the image of this world. You are being transformed. And this, of course, leads me to my last point, which I believe, though I'm not going to probably do as good of a job as I should on this, but this is getting ready, honestly. Uh, This is getting ready for a series in, in the future, speaking about specifically happiness as a Christian and the happiness of God. And this is my last and closing point. Our happiness flows from God, who is infinitely happy. That's the source. Our happiness flows from God who is infinitely happy. There are many Christians who sadly, and some of you may be watching today, many Christians who sadly say, I, I, don't, I, don't, I see God as holy, but I don't see God as happy. I mean, yeah, I, I think he, he has his days, you know, he has his moments. No, he's happy. If you want to say 24-7 in the realm of time, he's happy always. He's always happy. He's always filled with joy. That is a characteristic. That's part of God's nature. And the way that we view God is the way that we view life because that's the lens that we see everything through, especially as a follower of Jesus Christ, obviously. If we believe that God is not a God who's happy, then we also look at life and we say, hmm, there's another day that the Lord has given. I will rejoice because I must rejoice in what the Lord has given because this is my lot. I will make it through life. And we almost look like the bad view, which is not even a true view, of the Puritans who had a great love and affection for Jesus Christ. But we always look back at them and they're like, telling us not to do this and not to do this and not to do this and not to do this. And the picture of God is a father who is happy and elated over his people, over his children. Okay? I mean, that's something that we need to just begin to register in our minds. The way that we view God shapes the way that we view life. I want to ask you, how many of y'all would be excited about being told you are going to spend all of your eternity with a roommate who is grumpy as all get out? They hate life. They're always dreary and they never see the positive in anything. And you're going to spend eternity with someone like that. You excited? No, you're not excited. And here's the problem. I don't think any of you have ever said, well, I think God's unhappy, but I do know that probably a lot of you in the back of your minds have never even really thought through the process of God is infinitely happy. Like that is part of his characteristic traits. That's part of his attributes, if you will. Randy Alcorn explained it this way, and this makes a difference, I believe, in our views. If a grumpy neighbor asks, where are you going? You will see it as suspicious and condemning question. But if a cheerful neighbor asks the same thing, you will smile and tell them your plans. Why? Why? They asked you the same thing because you automatically base what they're asking you on their character and on their nature and on their actions. And so when you view them and understand them to be a grumpy and irritable person, and you're just like, what are you trying to figure out? What are you, what are you trying to figure out that I'm doing? Are you trying to, I mean, what are you prying for compared to someone who's cheerful, loves life, has a great time? And they say, where are you going? Man, I'm going to the, I'm going to the river today. We're going to go grill some hot dogs and fish a little bit. It's going to be a blast. You Share that with them because of the way that you view them. And I want you to think of just a few things because this is also true about the way that we view God. This is also true about the way that we view God. If you view God as an angry God always looking to catch you messing up, 
then that is how you're going to live your life where you're basically creeping on eggshells always at all times, always being somber and always being scared of the next move that you're making rather than realizing He is our Heavenly Father who is absolutely holy and absolutely beautiful and absolutely glorious and all of these things, but He's also absolutely happy. He's absolutely filled with joy. And so I want to take a few things into consideration. And one of these blew my mind the other day because honestly, I hadn't read too much about this nor thought too much about this. And this is why I keep saying that we're going to do a series before too long on this. God's righteous anger is a response to the wickedness of sin. Do you think about that? God's righteous anger is a response to the wickedness of sin. And so when you read throughout the Bible, starting all the way back in Genesis, going all the way through Revelation, man, it looks like God is doing damage on sin. And He is. But in the new heaven, in the new earth, in our resurrected body where there is no wickedness and there is no evil, God will no longer have any reason to be angry about anything. There's no wrath that has to be had in the eternal place of the new heaven and new earth. And therefore, that gives us great joy knowing that this is a temporal issue that God is dealing with. And you say, well, it's been a long time, a long time to you. But remember that time is not the same for God and God is allowing time for those to be what saved So think about this. This is a temporal thing that is taking place. Sin will not always exist. Death will be no more on that last day. These things will pass. And that just gives me such delight to know that God's response is a response out of love. Because if you have true love, then you can also have wrath. Because those things which are opposing the true love, you must be angry about, correct? And that which is good and that which is wicked cannot come together. And so God is righteously indignant at that which is sin because He loves us and loves His holiness. You've got to see it this way, I believe. God's anger against sin is the flip side of His desire for creation to rejoice. God's anger about sin is the flip side of His desire for us, His creation, to rejoice. And it even says, Romans 8, that creation is longing for the sons of God to be what? To be resurrected, to be redeemed. Jesus was not going around, by the way, in His ministry, perpetually sad and angry and uh, and grumpy. That's not the picture of Jesus. If Jesus was always sad, angry, and grumpy, then why would all these people be flocking to Him? They wouldn't. Why would all these children be coming to him in droves and his own disciples are like, get back, get back, get back. And Jesus is saying, no, let them come. Let the children come. You know, and this is one of the things too, and we only have so much of, 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 of the history of Jesus, if you will, recorded in the Gospels, but you don't think Jesus makes jokes? You don't think Jesus smiles? You don't think Jesus laughs? I mean, when was the last time you really looked at all of creation and looked at the, the leaves blowing in the wind and looked at, some of, looked at some of the creatures, whether you can physically see them or whether you need to look them up on the internet, some of the silly things that they do or the ways that even your animals or dogs or cats or whatever. And when you look at these things, these are all things God created. All joy that you ever experience, all happiness that you ever experience is all pointing you to the Creator who created them. Like, this is what it's all about. So when you think of God in negative terms, you're not thinking of the God of the Bible or you're not thinking of God properly. God is a God truly of love, joy, peace, happiness. And yes, He hates sin because it's completely opposite of who He is. And it's chaotic. And it's confusing. It's not the God of peace. And that is exactly what He's calling us to. Even Scripture. A lot of our translations, and I love the ESV, but... Pretty much every single translation for these two verses, and this is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11, and 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Each of these passages say this. 
that God is the blessed God. But actually, that same word for blessed, and the same word that's used some 50 times in the New Testament, is actually more accurately and more correctly translated, happy. Okay, so in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed, now in place of blessed, put happy, because that's exactly what that word is. The happy God with which I have been entrusted. 1 Timothy 6.11 He who is blessed, happy, and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Are you following this? God is the happy God. That, that is so important, I believe, to allow ourselves to really just come into our minds and be like, man, the God I serve, He's happy. And that might be blowing up your, your mind this morning, or maybe you've thought, yeah, well, I mean, I've always known He was happy, but maybe you haven't meditated on it before. And maybe that will change the way that you view, the lens that you look through the world and when you realize that God has created creation that we might enjoy. He said it was good. God's not throwing it away. He's redeeming it. Remember that. You see in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, it says, The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amy Carmichael said it this way, There is nothing dreary and doubtful about life. It is meant to be continually joyful. We are called to a settled happiness in the Lord whose joy is our strength. Now, this same Amy Carmichael from the uh, later part of the 19th century to the mid part of the 20th century, spent 55 years in the slums of India saving little girls from temple prostitution. And for those 55 years, she was never paid a furlough, which means she was never basically paid. She just only had enough to get by with. Are, are you following that? That's a statement she made based on the truth that she experienced in the goodness of God in one of the worst places on the face of the earth at that moment. I mean, so I need us to recognize the joy of the Lord is our strength. And you might be saying, how is that so? The joy of the Lord is our strength because of the way that He sees His people. The way that He sees us because of Jesus Christ. The way that He sees us as sons and daughters of God. Listen closely as I close. How the Father views you because of Jesus changes everything. How the Father views you because of Jesus changes everything. We are beloved by the Father. You ready for it? God infinitely loves His children, loves His people. If you've called upon the name of Jesus for salvation, you've repented of your sins, which is, it's, there's no way to call upon the name of Jesus without repenting, recognizing that your way of life is wrong and that His is, his is right. You know, there's no other way. If you've done that, God infinitely loves you. And the God who infinitely loves you is a God who is infinitely happy and infinitely filled with joy. And, and therefore, yes, He wants His people to be happy within the realm of the happiness that He's given us to experience, not only on this earth, but in the new heavens and new earth, for us to experience for all of creation. So I ask you this this morning, for all of you who are watching, where does your happiness come from? Where does it come from? Where are you seeking for your happiness? Are you allowing idols? And by idols, I simply mean job, status, children, spouse, friends. You name it. Just keep adding some of those in there. Are you allowing that to define you and to give you your happiness? Because they will always fail you. They will always let you down. And that's why Jesus can say in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all you who are weary, and you will find rest for your souls. I close with this verse, and I want us to all recognize as believers in Jesus Christ, this is for you, and this is for you to hear, and this is for you to enjoy. We were created to enter the happiness of the Lord, the joy of the Lord. Matthew 
25 verse 23, he says this, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy, enter into the joy of your master. Those are the words we shall hear as followers of Jesus Christ on that day. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy, the happiness of your master. Let us pray. Father, we come before you thanking you for who you are. Thanking you that you have brought us into your family. Thanking you that our sins are forgiven. Thanking you that we have been called to be your children. That our sins have been forgiven. That we have peace with you, Lord God. That we are filled with your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that if there be anyone out there today watching this, that they would repent and turn to Jesus. That they would cry out and call upon the name of Jesus as Lord and as Savior. And that they would make it public and they would make it known and they would rejoice in their salvation. Lord God, until you bring us together, Father, may you be with us and may your beautiful face truly shine upon us this week. Father, we are blessed among all people. It is in Jesus' mighty name we pray these things. Amen.